All right, grab a seat. You already did. Nice. So good morning. Welcome again to Lake Forest Davidson. My name is Gray Seegers. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we've been going through this series called Rooted in Joy, and today is the halfway point, week five of nine. And we've, again, we've been going through this book of Philippians with the main idea being joy. We've been talking about how joy comes through a relationship with Christ. And running tandem with this Rooted in Joy series is the Rooted Campaign. Uh, many of you probably know we are under contract for a piece of land on South Main Street. And, yes, and we as a, a congregation are coming together uh, to buy the land. And so two weeks from today, September 15th, uh, we will be, and I say we, that's me as well, we'll be handing in our pledge cards, September 15th. And if you don't have one of those, we have uh, both pledge cards and a, a booklet with more information about it. We don't want anyone feeling in the dark or like they don't know what's going on. So feel free to, to grab a brochure there. And, uh, and if you have questions, uh, shoot us an email too, because again, we want to we wanna be able to answer any of those. And also we have soap journals uh, still on the table there that you can kind of do as we go through this series. Um, I'd like to give a, a special welcome to the college students. Again, welcome back. Um, back for the fall semester. Oh, it's an exciting time of year, and, and one plug before we get going real quick. Uh, something that's been meaningful to me at different stages of my life has been older people a little bit ahead of me, uh, investing in me and caring for me, and that's one of the things we would love to offer you as, uh, as Davidson College students, is to match you with a, uh, an older adult, like as a mentor, or even like with a family, um, just someone a little, something that feels a little bit more like home away from home. So if that sounds inter interesting to you, you can shoot me an email or at college breakfast, there will be a, a table with a sign-up sheet on it that says adopt a wildcat. Just put your name on there and I'll, e I'll email you and we'll get together and figure out kind of what you're looking for. But, uh, but yeah, I would encourage you, be it through here or through somewhere else, to, to find someone a little bit outside of your circle to, to invest in you. And uh, speaking of college, I did my, my time in college at Clemson, um, and I actually, I drove down there Thursday night uh, for the football game. I met my dad there, and uh, it was weird being back. It was my first time in three years, and some of you guys might have experienced something like this. Uh, going back there, it brought back a lot of really good memories, but it also brought back some, some hard ones. It, there were some things that kind of took me back to a, a, a dark time. And the old adage, uh, as you head off to college, you know, the best four years of your life. And, uh, and they were good years, but, but for me, it was more uh, two of the hardest years of my life, followed by two of the best years of my life. And the, these first two years were, were very lonely. Um, and I tell you this almost as like a foil to this I idea of joy we're talking about. Uh, the first two years there were, were really lonely. I was surrounded by thousands of people my age, thousands of peers, and I'd met a ton of people, had a lot of kind of friends, but didn't really have any real friends, knowing that, uh, that I felt known by, and I didn't feel like I really knew anyone. So I knew, knew a ton of people, but didn't have any real friends. And, uh, and over time, th this loneliness turned into an emptiness, and it, it's kind of hard to put that into words. And I'll never forget, uh, it was maybe fall or Thanksgiving break or something, and I went home, and I was upstairs in my bedroom, and uh, just sitting on my bed, and I remember my mom came, and, and I told her, I, I don't feel good, and I don't know what to do about it. And the, uh, the second half of that was the scary part, don't know what to do about it, because it was, it was hard to envision a way that the current 
feelings would change. There wasn't really a, a path out from what I saw. And, uh, and this experience isn't limited to people in college. A lot of people had, had great college experiences, and, and that's awesome. And, and again, a lot of mine was too. But uh, a lot of people didn't, and a lot of people well past college are struggling with the same feeling of, of uh, not feeling good and not really knowing a way out, not knowing what to do about it. I'm sure there are a lot of people, be it students or other folks, who, are, who are kind, of, kind of feel like they're just hanging on today. Might be someone who, here in a room of however many people this is, a lot of people feel kind of alone in a crowded room. And on top of it all, there's a, uh, a certain level of, of irony about me preaching about joy today. Because uh, even over the last few weeks, we've been in this Rooted in Joy series, and I myself have been struggling to find joy. I've felt more rooted in bitterness and sadness than in joy. And, and you know, you read the book of Philippians, which was written by Paul when he was imprisoned. You look at him, and he's joyful despite these bad circumstances. And you wonder how. Because that's the, the frustrating thing for me, is so much of my joy, so much of my happiness seems uh, in response to circumstances. You know, if things are going well, then I can find happiness, I can find joy. But as soon as they don't, then anger emerges. Like it was, I felt very hypocritical getting angry about how my, my sermon about joy wasn't coming together how I liked it to. And, but, uh, but in the midst of this, uh, in the midst of preparing for all this, God, uh, God had a message for me, and, and I think he has a message for all of us uh, about joy today. So, before we jump into the text, would you, would you guys pray with me? <clears throat> God, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Um, thank you for creating us as people who have a hunger for joy. We know what our heart longs for, and we know when we have not found that. So in this restlessness, in this uh, unease, uh, we pray that you, you guide us towards joy a little bit this morning. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're going through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a, a letter written by this guy Paul to the church in Philippi. And Paul knew the church in Philippi pretty well. Um, he and a couple, of his, a couple of his friends had started this church a little bit earlier, and he had since moved on. And so many of the people he's writing to, he knows pretty well. And we'll start off reading in chapter 2, verse 12. It reads, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So last week, Michael talked a little bit about verse 12, how our, our growth in faith involves the reminder, sometimes you got to work it out, baby. If you remember, work it out, baby. And the first half of verse 13 reads, it is God who works in you to will and to act. This makes an important point, that, that it's God that works in us, that leads us to desire and to do the right things. But for many of us, doing and desiring the right things is kind of where Christianity ends. I guess kind of the, the end goal there. Uh, you think the right thoughts, you do the right things. 
But have you ever asked the question, like, why? What, what, why, does it, why does it matter to think the right thoughts and to, to desire the right things and to will the right things and to do the right things? What's the, what's the point of it all? And that's what we're going to dig into today. That's the, the second half of verse 13. This last phrase, in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so the, the willing and acting, the doing mentioned in the first half there, is all done in order to fulfill God's good purpose. And purpose, purpose is a big question. If, if you went out on the street, down Main Street in downtown Davidson, 2019, United States of America, and you said, what is the purpose of life to an average person in 2019 in the United States? Um, yikes. What's the purpose of life? I suspect most people would say it's to go out there and live your life. Go chase your dreams go on adventures, live boldly, make your impact felt on the world. And then the hope is that through doing this, through living your life, you will find joy, you'll find happiness. And sometimes we do find happiness in these things, you know, when, when things go the way we hoped, when the trip was awesome, when we get the job we want. A lot of times we, we be happy in these moments. I'm not trying to poo-poo those moments. Just said poo-poo. Um, <laughs> But, but ultimately, circumstances change. Things come to an end. Or maybe you get laid off from that job you worked towards for so long. Friends move. Marriage ends. The place you were going, it looked better in the photos. Maybe you have an ethical failure. Maybe the job you've waited for for so long, someone gets promoted over you. And so all this that we've hoped for, all this that we've worked for, all this that we've purposed towards, what we've given our lives towards, it slips away. It falls apart because the circumstances didn't play out how we wanted them to. And there's this book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes, and it shares some of the perspective of a guy named King Solomon. He's king of the Israelites, and he had, he had just about everything on paper anyone could ever want. And he was a king, healthy guy, filthy rich, Anything he wanted to do, he could pretty much do. Anything he wanted to build, he would build. Anywhere he wanted to go, he would go. And he could make anyone do anything he wanted. He had it all. But the, the book of Ecclesiastes, again, opens from his perspective, and it reads, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. It's a very uplifting book. The, uh, the word's meaningless there at the beginning. The, the Hebrew word transla translated here as meaningless, it's more, it's more literally translated as vapor. And vapor, we, we see vapor, we can even touch it, but we're not quite able to grasp it. And for a moment, we can feel it on our fingers, then it dries, it evaporates, it's gone. And all these things Solomon chased, fame, fortune, pleasure, reputation, all these things, and not all bad things, a lot of good things, it's all vapor. Vapor, vapor, says the teacher, utterly vapor, everything is vapor. 
And what I like about, about the vapor translation is, again, it's there, but it's not. These things can bring happiness for a time, but again, circumstances change. Or maybe as we're, hap- we're happy experiencing these things, we're, we're worried about how circumstances might change, about what if so-and-so gets sick, or what if the branch closes, and the concern about circumstances changing brings the happiness to an end, and it's gone. And what Paul has found as he's in prison writing a letter, he has found not merely happiness, he's found joy. And he writes with joy imprisoned because he set his sights not on living his life for his purpose, but for living his life for God's good purpose. Because that's the thing about joy. It, uh, it's a byproduct. When I was upstairs in my bedroom in college, I, I wanted joy. I wanted to feel good. But joy is a byproduct. Joy, joy cannot be found if we're seeking it out for its own sake. It comes from seeking out something else. C.S. Lewis writes that joy's very existence presupposes that you desire not it, but something other and outer. So again, joy doesn't come through seeking joy itself. Joy comes through seeking something else, something other and outer, something that is outside of ourselves. And that's the only way Paul could be joyful in the midst of bad circumstances. He sees his life, his circumstances, as a part of the story that God's writing, as a part of the purpose God is working out, as a part of what God's doing. But we've been talking a lot about God's good purpose. What exactly is God's good purpose? Paul spells it out for us in the next two verses, starting at chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So there at the end of verse 15, Paul writes, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And this is a, a reference to the Old Testament. is is way back near the beginning when God made a covenant with Abraham. So in Genesis 26, God tells Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And here comes God's good purpose. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So when Paul draws this connection to the Old Testament, he's saying God's good purpose is that his people would be a blessing to others. And this purpose is the same now as it was in Philippi, as it was with Abraham. Paul's telling the church in Philippi in this letter that this was Abraham's purpose, and it's their purpose as well. The second thing Paul tells them, in this section, is that he tells the Philippian church to do everything without grumbling or arguing. And the the Philippian church, they had some legitimate things to complain about. Uh, One, Philippi was a Roman military town. It had a a large Roman presence, and they weren't big fans of this Christian group who said the emperor is not God. So there was some persecution coming on from outside of the church. And then there was also some division in arguing inside the church. We don't know a ton of exactly what they were arguing about or what the division uh, was related to, but Paul references it throughout the letter. 
So they had some things going on that they could have been grumbling about. But for Christians in Philippi, one of their ways to live into God's purpose, Paul tells them, their way to be a blessing is to stop grumbling and arguing. I think there's a, there's a simple reason for that, and there's a, a deeper one. So the simple reason is that grumbling and arguing, it, uh, it pits people against each other, causes divisions, uh, breeds a culture of negativity, and it, it fuels a very unattractive form of self-pity. But on a much deeper level, grumbling, it says something about how people view God and how they view God's purpose. There's, there's another group of people uh, in the Bible known for their grumbling. Uh, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, which is the fourth book of the Bible, in the 14th chapter of the book of Numbers, we read about the Israelites. And the Israelites, God had led them out of Egypt. They were in slavery. God had led them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, used Moses to do all this, and then into the wilderness. And they were out there, and they didn't really know what to do next. And they started to grumble. We read Numbers 14. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. So again, God, has, God had brought the Israelites out of slavery. They, he performed miracles to, to uh, provide for them in the desert, but he hadn't given a ton of details about like, what the next step was, what the game plan was from there. And the people started to get hungry, they started to get tired, they started to get impatient. And, and the real zinger in this verse is the, if only we had died in Egypt. And this is crazy, because the Israelites there, they'd been at the center of God's story. God had been working through them specifically. And essentially they're saying, if only we could have opted out back in Egypt. They grumble about the hardship they're facing. And by most accounts, like, like the Philippians, the Israelites, they, they had reasons to complain. They had reasons to grumble. They were hungry. They were thirsty. In the desert, they didn't know what they were doing. Church in Philippi, as I said, had, had reasons to grumble. They were, there was drama in the church, and they were dealing with persecution. Paul had reasons to grumble. He was in prison, and he might be getting put to death. But somehow Paul, not because of his sunny disposition, found joy. Paul was able to find joy. It was because he saw his life within the context of God's story. Wherever God's story took him, he wanted to be a part of it. And it was this way of, of viewing his life that changed everything. This is how he was able to find joy. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and serving in service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And Paul saw his life, didn't matter if he was in prison or free, if he was healthy or if he was facing death, he saw his life as a part of what God was doing, as a part of God's purpose. And it sounds kind of crazy that, that Paul could have joy in prison because it kind of is. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be joyful in a jail cell when you're about to die. It just doesn't make sense. But the gospel doesn't make sense. 
You think that, that the creator of the world, God would require that his creation come to him, but instead God comes to us. You'd think that Jesus would be born as a child of a king in a great palace in a seat of power, but instead he comes as a child of an unwed couple born in a stable. You would think that Jesus would be honored and celebrated and recognized as the savior of the world, but instead he is executed as a criminal. None of it makes sense. And J.R.R. Tolkien coined a, a word, eucatastrophe, uh, which means good catastrophe, and it speaks to this a little bit. But this word, too, does not make sense. None of it makes sense unless it's viewed through the lens of God's purpose, God's good purpose, God's story. It's God's purpose that adds the you to the catastrophe. And again, it's still a catastrophe. It's still a horrible thing, still a terrible circumstance, but in view of God's story, it's somehow made good. And this is how joy can be found. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, we read about Jesus, uh, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, Jesus faced execution, and what joy was set out before him? The joy was found in being a part of God's good purpose. In the most miserable circumstances, Jesus had joy set before him as God's plan to redeem the world was unfolding through his life. And like Paul in the church in Philippi, as Christians, we have Christ in us, so we too have joy set out before us as we lay aside our own purposes and we take up God's good purpose. And again, it's not about stopping doing this or starting doing that. It's an entirely different way to view your life. It's a new perspective, a whole different way of thinking about things. I was often confused by this, this verse in Matthew 16, but from this perspective, it kind of makes sense. It's when, it's when Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And as Solomon showed us in Ecclesiastes, if you want to save and serve your purpose, you'll eventually lose it. It's vapor. But if you loosen your hands, loosen your heart, and you release your own purpose, you'll finally find true purpose and true joy. And it's scary to let go of that. It, uh, for me, I mentioned the, the few weeks leading up to this had been, I'd struggled to find joy. And, and over, over time, I've kind of seen in my own life where I'll, I'll let go of my purpose, but then over time, my, my hand will start to kind of close back around my life, and I want to get what I want. And part of preparing for this was a reminder to, to let go again. And so again, I say that because it's not like a, it's probably not going to be a one-time decision. But it's probably going to be the act of continually releasing your purpose, your will, and stepping into God's good purpose. Because that's where joy is. So I started today uh, with, with a story about being up in my bedroom when I was in college and, and feeling like something was wrong and not knowing what to do about it. And my mom responded that I should go and help someone. Go and be a blessing. Rather than seeking out joy, go be a part of God's purpose. And I took those words and, and that set my life on a course. 
It was, it was a step away from my story and a step into God's story. And a lot of it I can explain, and a lot of it were decisions I made, but a lot of it I can't explain, and they were decisions that I didn't make. They were just things that happened, ways that God moved. One of the first things I did was volunteer to, to mentor a, a guy through Big Brothers Big Sisters. And all this, I, I, it was all just a matter of putting my purposes away. And God began to move in my life over the months and years to come, and joy began to return. It was like if you've, uh, like in the late winter, when the perennials, the, the plants started to pop up from the soil. Again, it wasn't a light switch, but slowly joy started to spring back up in my life. But it was because it wasn't, it wasn't my life anymore. It wasn't my story. It was the story God was writing. It just changes how you see things. So I'll close with this question. Um, whose purpose drives your life? Is it yours? And if it is, how is that going? Whose story are you a part of? My challenge to all of us is, is to take whatever your next step will be into God's good purpose, into God's story. Go and be a blessing to others. And through that, and I believe only through that, will you find joy. So please pray with me. God, again, uh, we, we ask that you root us in joy. Of all, of all the purposes and plans and dreams we chase, uh, only to have them, them slip away as, as, as vapor between our fingers. Um, I pray that you draw us in and, and bring us into your good purpose. Because that's where joy is. That's where life is. Pray for the, the boldness and courage it takes to put our necks out there a little bit and, and trust, that, trust that you are trustworthy and to believe that, that entering into your story will give us the only true purpose, the only true joy. Pray that you, you meet us where we are this morning and show us what, what that next step would be and, and soften our hearts uh, to give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.